When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How has being a criminal lawyer helped you survive as you wait for president? I know how to judge people. I'm not easily scared. I said many times that I've met less criminals in 25 years of criminal law than in two years of football. (laughs) (laughs) We have to keep our football from these sharks that are swimming around. Manchester United are for sale at this moment in time. It looks like the only two bidders have other clubs in the French League which could end up playing against Manchester United. How are you ever going to deal with that? Those are the current rules, which we have to rethink. Are you worried about the power of the English Premier League? I'm not worried about that. Can the Super League project exist without English clubs? No way. I lost it a bit. I said, look, you go to hell. From tomorrow you are my enemies. The recent UEFA report, which was damning of the situation around the Champions League final, you've not spoken on this subject yet. I feel sorry for what happened and we will make sure that it doesn't happen ever again. So, we've got a big day today. We're interviewing the UEFA president, Alexander Shefferin. Find out a little bit more about the governance, the structure of power in football, in UEFA, the attacks on UEFA from the big clubs around the Super League, and the report that's just come out in the last few weeks, which is damning of UEFA's role in the Paris final between Liverpool and Real Madrid. I think what I'm expecting today, it's interesting about Shefferin, he's admired, he's liked. When you think of all the corruption that's existed in global football over the last 20, 30 years, you know, Alexander Shefferin's a lawyer and seems to have a really sort of clear position on what he wants to achieve. UEFA's always going to get a lot of criticism and uh, you know, he's got some tough questions to answer today, but also I think there is an element of that this guy could be one of the good ones in the game. Alexander, welcome to the Overlap. Thank you very much for travelling this morning from Slovenia and welcome to our studios here in Manchester. Thank you Uh, very much for inviting me. Can you tell us a little bit about your child? I want to go back to the very beginning to understand how you grew up in Slovenia and then go on to become one of the most powerful men in world football. Yes, I was born uh, almost 56 years ago in, in Slovenia, but it was part of former Yugoslavia. I had a, a very nice childhood. We didn't have much material stuff. We lived in a socialist regime, which was not so tough as many times you think in the western part of the world. You know, there are some very good things back there. For example, our neighbor was a cleaning lady and my father was a lawyer and we had the similar size of houses back then. Economically... So equality, basically. Yes, economically it doesn't last much because... uh, the government and, or the state helped so much, but we were happy. We had one shoes for school, for football, for basketball, for everything, but we, we didn't need more, actually. I had a very, very nice uh, and happy yeah. childhood. And you grow up and then you end up joining the Yugoslav army because it's compulsory. How was that for you at the time? 
Yeah, I had to join, it was compulsory. I had to join the Yugoslav army in 1986. I was there for one year. It was tough, it was tough. In what way tough? Out of your comfort zone or? Yes, out of your comfort zone. You couldn't go home for one year. We were in, in a quite a cold place and yeah. we didn't have heating. It was a big challenge. You met uh, boys from all around Yugoslavia, different people, different um, habits. So it, it was uh, a challenge. And you know, as always, I all, only remember good things. It was tough, but now I, I, I'm thinking many times where are my friends from that time, because yeah. five years later, the war in Yugoslavia started. And back then, I didn't know that in, in Bosnia there are Croats, Serbs, and Muslims. I thought they're Bosnians, because yeah. we were all friends. Friends, yeah. And then the terrible war started. So I'm thinking many times where my friends are from that uh, period. And you then joined the Slovenian army around that time, which then you were actually pitted against the people you'd been with those early years when you were 19. How can that be? It was, it was terrible. I, I still remember the day in 1991 where we, we had a dinner uh, at our, my father's house and my mother's house and um, they came and the, a guy comes to the door and says, war started. Alexander, I You're said, in. me, you go with us. Thanks God in Slovenia, it, it ended up in, in, in 10 days. But it's, it was not easy. It was not easy and, you know, more than 100,000 people died. And you know some of those people? Yeah, I know. I know some. In Slovenia, thanks God, was, was uh, much uh, less. But Croatia and especially Bosnia was a disaster. Do you still think of those times now when you're in the position of UEFA president and you're dealing with all these different sort of sections of people, do you still refer back to those moments to sort of understand how probably lucky you are or how to deal with them from a point of view of the collective? Yeah, from one point of view, I think that I'm, I'm lucky that, that we are all lucky that things changed. But uh, from the other point of view, sometimes when <laughs> these uh, oligarchs want to destabilize you, it's funny for me because I was living times where it was not very easy so so an oligarch isn't much of a problem to you I don't think so I don't think so <laughs> your parents you said that your father was a criminal lawyer is that obviously your influence of going into law was based around your father's experiences yeah my father was a lawyer my brother is a lawyer my grandfather was a lawyer my daughter and niece are lawyers so it runs in the family it's, it's and my my mother was a teacher so Mother was the tough one. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of your parents? Were they your heroes? Were they your biggest influences? Yes, absolutely. They still are. My mother died in 2002, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, and I'm not a dramatic person, that uh, since 2002 there was not a single day that I wouldn't think about her. She was the, I think if she was the one who guided us to be. Uh, In what way? She had great sense of what is right and what is wrong. She was um, from a family that she lost her father and her brother. Uh, they were killed in Second World War by the Germans. So she was very much left oriented. Yeah. But when in the communist regime, some of uh, 
members of the uh, Communist Party came to her as a headmaster. She was a headmaster in the end in the school and said that her uh, PA shouldn't wear a cross. She fought so hard that she lost her job. So she had Standing this, up her this, this feeling, this feeling. So that helped me a lot and still, uh, still uh, I think about that. And you became a criminal lawyer, mm -hmm. acting on behalf of criminals? Yes, defense, defense defending lawyer. criminals. Yes, defending criminals. Has that helped you in your? Not just criminals, also people who are not guilty, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and trust me, there were quite many who didn't do it, and they were presented as, as, as criminals uh, from the beginning. And uh, that was tough sometimes as well, because many people were asking me, "Is it a problem to defend the ones who you know are guilty?" Mm. And I always say that the worst is to defend the ones who are not guilty. Because the ones who are guilty, I do what I can, but if they are convicted, justice yeah. is done. But imagine the pressure that you know that somebody didn't do it. He or she depends only on you, and you're afraid that they will still mm -hmm. be put in prison for years, which, which is it's tough. How has being a criminal lawyer helped you become or... I suppose, in some ways, survive as you wait for president. That must help you a lot, actually, thinking about it, the people you have to deal with. Yeah, I, I know how to judge people. I'm not easily scared by, by them. Uh, I said many times that uh, I've met uh, less criminals in 25 years of criminal law than in two years of football. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but of course, I have to say the game's that, in a good way. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, I met many fantastic people as well, much, much more than than those uh, ugly ones. But what you, what you've just said, because I always think of it as a young boy growing up and as a fan of a game. Forget the fact that I'm in the media, I played the game, or that you're the UEFA president. It's a really sad state when you, in the position that you're in, feel that the game has those types of characters in abundance. It's, it's a really sad state of affairs. That's how the fans feel. Yeah, f we have to be positive and know that there are also many great people in, in football. Football attracts a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of passion. And that's why it's normal that also some tricky people are, are around. I suspect in your position, because we know this has happened, the previous UEFA regime, the previous you know, the FIFA regimes that have had the corruption, you were approached, I suspect, all the time and tried to be influenced. How do you deal with that? To be honest, I don't know why, but I was never approached. No one's ever approached you no. and tried to influence no. you or tried to... I know that many who will watch this wouldn't believe it, but I really wasn't. Probably I'm a strange guy that they don't want to approach because obviously they don't trust me. I don't know. They... They smell each other, they know who is corrupt, I don't know. And it's because maybe because of your background, your law background, your personality, your character, because there's no doubt, I'm sure the media and football wider game will try to obviously look at you closely and investigate you all the time, mm. but they haven't found anything on you mm. and they can't get to you at all. Is that something that means it gives you strength compared to other organisations? Yeah, I, I had a colleague, a lawyer in, in Slovenia who, let's say, does probably some strange things and he said once to me when he drank a bit too much he said uh, you know that every time I wake up in the morning and the dog barks I say wow they came for me you know 
it's good to be clean. Manchester United are for sale at this moment in time. How are UEFA going to deal with that? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. The recent UEFA report, which was damning of the situation around the Champions League final. I feel sorry for what happened. Can I ask you some specific questions about English clubs? How did you feel about Manchester City's case? Because they got charged by UEFA, but then they got a small fine in the end and seemed to get off the more serious charge, which was obviously being banned from the competition. Yeah, they were charged by UEFA and then uh, Court of Arbitration for Sports overturned our decision. Of course it was disappointing, but maybe it's a bit easier for me because if you are a trial lawyer, you see that many times cases that you are sure you will win, you lose, or that you are sure you will lose, you win. So uh, I, I'm used to not unpredictability of our competition only, but courts as well. What's your view on FFP? I, I, see, I'm, I'm torn on FFP. So I, I grew up a Manchester United fan, one of the highest generating revenues in Europe. Mm -hmm. So FFP suits them in some ways because they are high revenue generators it means they can stay at the top but if you're a a Chelsea uh, a Manchester City a Leicester City and you want to try and grow your revenues to that level the only way in which you can do that sometimes is through owner funding and increasing owner funding mm. how do we have sustainability and FFP which I believe in but also allow a competitive nature to emerge so that clubs who are lower can grow to have revenues to the top. Mm. I have this view that owner funding should be allowed as long as it's secured mm. to the level of the highest revenue generator in that league. Mm -hmm. So if you're Leicester and your owner wants to put the funding in to get to Manchester United level, mm -hmm. they can do that, but it has to be secured revenue so that the club can't end up in trouble. Mm -hmm. That's my personal view. But mm -hmm. how do we get fair rules for European football, but also for English football? Yeah, that, that's an interesting uh, question. It's a, it's a million dollar question, Americans would say. I think that uh, for the Premier League, it's not our jurisdiction. But for the European competition, what would you allow? That everyone can go as high as PSG or Man City goes. And it's a bit of a different situation here in England. And that's, of course, um, some present it as a problem. I, I, I would not present it that way. Your clubs in the Premier League start with, I don't know, 150 million, the others with 30. Yeah. And they have to compete. For me, a good thing that starts now for, with the new season is that you can spend uh, for the salaries up to 70% of your revenues. Because uh, we see some clubs now, even some uh, clubs who, who think that we should change and everything and the elite should play alone, that they spend 200% for salaries and that's why they are in deep trouble. I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm torn on this one because my feeling is that if you say 70% of the revenue of the clubs, you're locking in mm -hmm. the richest clubs to be at the very top forever. It's very difficult for the other clubs that have got lower revenues to challenge them. That's my concern mm -hmm. around... And it means then that owners can't invest in their business, mm -hmm. a football club, I don't like calling them businesses, it's a football club, mm -hmm. but they can't invest in those businesses to get up to the level of Real and Madrid. There must be a way of dealing with that part so we can create that new competitive element and those new clubs that can come forward. I mean, I agree with you, but yes, from the other point of view, any Slovenian company cannot compete with an English company in anything. 
because of the market, the difference of the market. I remember in, in ex-Yugoslavia, we all supported our local teams. Now you have every single match in the world on TV. And I spoke with a, with a friend of mine who is a big Hajduk split supporter from Croatia. And he's, uh, he's extremist. He's uh, sick. Uh, so he was almost crying, saying that he said to his son, because the derby in Croatia is Hajduk split Dinamo Zagreb. Yeah. It's derby tomorrow. And the son says, I know, but I think Neymar will not play. So that's how things, things change, unfortunately. And the gap is probably will be wider and wider. The thing is, can we slow it a bit, at least? Uh, and how? Manchester United are for sale at this moment in time. They have two bidders that we know about, which are Jim Ratcliffe, um, who's the owner of Nice, mm -hmm. and a Qatari bid, who obviously own PSG. We obviously know you can't influence the decision about who wins that bid and whether they're accepted as owners in obviously the Premier League. But what you can influence is what you will do if obviously there is a conflict of playing in the same competition against a team that they own. How are you ever going to deal with that if a situation arises? Because it looks like the only two bidders at this moment in time have other clubs in the French League which could end up playing against Europa League in the Europa League or Champions League against Manchester United. How will you deal with that? This multi-club ownership question is an interesting question. I think we, we should think about it for the future and see what to do. I mean, from one point of view, it's true that if you are the owner of two clubs and they play in the same competition, you can say to one club lose because you want the other to win. But for you as a football player, do you think it's so easy to do that? To tell a coach lose the match because the other wants to win? Or if you can't play the same competition, isn't it logical that if you are close to be qualified to Champions League that you intentionally lose in your National League? Because you say, if I win anyway, I can't play that competition. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe that any football player coach would ever be, <clears throat> ever be bought and told to lose a football game. It's not the way we're brought up. Mm -hmm. you know, we're from working class backgrounds, ordinarily football players. We don't get bought, we fight our hardest. But you obviously have to make a decision on these rulings because there is an anti-conflict, I think, I regulation. So mm. how, how are you going to deal with it? Because that, that regulation is in place at this moment yeah. in time. We have, to, we have to speak about these regulations and see what to do about it. There's more and more interest for this multi-club ownership and we shouldn't just say no as for the investments also for, for uh, multi-club ownership, but we have to see what kind of rules we set in that case, because the rules have to be strict. Could it be that Manchester United and PSG might not be able to play against each other in the Champions League, that you may have to say one of them, Manchester United, can't play in the Champions League if PSG are in the Champions League, or Nice can't play in the Europa League if Manchester United are in the Europa yeah, League? Yeah, that's, but that's, those are the current rules, which we have to rethink. I would. You think you're going to rethink them now, quite quickly, if these bids come forward? I think it has to be quick, because uh, you know everything has to happen quick in football. But it wouldn't be correct that I speak about something that we didn't discuss much. But it sounds to me like you are going to look at the regulation to, to, to potentially deal with this Manchester United situation. That would bring a, quite a lot of criticism, wouldn't it, if UEFA didn't just keep the same regulation as it's always had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we are not thinking about United only. We had like five, six 
owners of the clubs who want to buy another club. So we have to see what to do. I don't say what we will do, but we have to first speak within the house, then bring it to the executive committee and see. But what uh, are the options? The options are or that stays like that, or that uh, we allow them to play the same competition. What do you think personally? I'm not sure yet. My final <coughs> question on English clubs, obviously, is on Liverpool and the recent UEFA report, which was damning of the situation around the Champions League final. We, you've not spoken on this subject yet. Can you just talk to us about what your thoughts are on the report and do you accept the findings of the report that's been published? First of all, I, I can say that uh, I feel sorry for what happened and that we will make sure that it doesn't happen anymore. That's the most important thing for me. The situation back then was, was strange. First of all, we had to change the venue. It was supposed to be played in St. Petersburg, Russia, then the war started. So we had to change very fast. And we um, thought that Paris is, is the, the right place. When I was at the match, I, I remember I had a, uh, a meeting with the King of Spain and, and my people came to the room, said something urgent happened. I went out. They say there's a problem with an entrance or some entrances for the fans. Nothing else. We didn't know how serious that was back then. Because UEFA doesn't have jurisdiction out of the stadium, there's French police, which they didn't communicate with us. They, they just... So it was, it was a difficult situation. And uh, we are... Look, trust me, there's not a single person at UEFA who is not terribly sorry that, that those things happened. And probably this is the main topic now at UEFA, mm. how to make sure that it doesn't happen again. What you, you said you're going to make changes. What are you going to change? Because <coughs> the, there were difficulties around the Euro 2020 final as well. This obviously has, has then happened in Paris, which was a near miss potential catastrophe could have happened. What are you going to change? I'm still expecting feedback from the experts that we have that are dealing with that because you have to know that me as a president of, of UEFA, I don't deal with the organization of the match, but we have to have better communication with the local authorities because in London, again, it was not UEFA who should protect outside of the stadium, but it was local police and obviously not very successful. How do you ensure that it's not going to happen again at Wembley next year, the same thing that happened in... We'll try to speak with the local authorities more, and I, I think they learned a lot as well. They would understand, they wouldn't underestimate the situation. So, uh, so we have a team there all the time. They report from time to time, thanks God, nothing terrible happened. Are you going to change personnel within UEFA, the people who are responsible and named in the report for mishandling the event? It's too early to say that, but, uh, but I, I, I think that uh, by changing one or two persons, you don't change much. We have to understand that everything around it was, didn't work as, as it should. Do you regret the communications that went out in the stadium <clears throat> on that night that obviously were blaming ticketless fans? That was a mistake. That was a mistake from our side, but it was hard to check what was right and what was wrong. We got so strange information. I really didn't know the scale of the, of the thing that who happened. Was, who outside. was speaking to you on the night? Who was talking to you and updating you? I had a meeting 
on the stairs, because we didn't, even didn't have a room with uh, my general secretary, the CEO of UEFA events, president of Liverpool, CEO of Liverpool, and CEO of Real Madrid. And some other people from both organizations, which I don't remember, were there. But it was said, you know, something wrong, fans cannot enter, what do we do? The, the, the broadcasters are pushing not to postpone. I said, postpone the match. You said postpone the match? Yeah. We, we agreed that we have to postpone the match because... Uh, do you mean delay or postpone? Do you mean... Yeah, the, the delay, 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 sorry, delay, sorry, sorry, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So, uh, and then after we came to the hotel, news started to come slowly. We, were, we didn't know how, how serious that was. So we are doing everything we can and we will not make it happen. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Again. Are you worried about the strength and power of the Premier League? I'm not worried about that. What about the Super League? I called it on the day, the attempted murder of English football. I lost it a bit. I said, look, you go to hell. From tomorrow, you are my enemies. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe. There's loads more episodes coming up, and I hope you're enjoying it. Do you think Super League could be resurrected because you've obviously got a court case coming up in the next few months whereby the clubs Barcelona, Juventus, Laporte, Agnelli and Perez are still going for it. No. Look, the, the court case is mainly symbolical. Look, they say that UEFA has a monopoly and that they have the right to organise their own competition. My answer is, organise your own competition. We never stop them to organize another competition. They wanted a meeting with me, this famous A-something company. A22, the, uh, yeah, the, yes. the, the company that came out a few months ago. Yes, 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 but it's their company. Oh, it's the, it's the company of Laporte, Agnelli? And I mean, they're representing them, although okay. they say they're not, but okay. uh, we all know. Uh, so they wanted to see me. Some of my guys say, why should you meet the company? And I said, look, if I don't meet them, they will say, arrogant UEFA, I don't want to speak but I don't want to meet them alone because I don't trust yeah. them misusing my words. So I invited ECA clubs, leagues, fans, FIFPRO to the room. They didn't know. Sounds like a stadium. Yes. 
And I would just quote the, the chairman of the English fans who said, you have less supporters than UK ha had prime ministers in the last two months. Everybody was against them. Nobody wants to play with them. But they still shout, UEFA doesn't allow us. We, we don't have a power. If you want, you can create your own football club, start your competition tomorrow. What do you make of what... I mean, look, Juventus, <clears throat> Barcelona and Real Madrid, I played against those clubs as a player. They're three of the greatest football clubs in the world. Uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona, iconic clubs, and Juventus, obviously, in Italy. But what, what's that? what are Agnelli, <clears throat> Laporte and Perez playing at? What, what's their game? It's really hard for me to say. That's... that's uh... A question or for them or for another expert. Do you speak to them? No. Do, you get, do you get on with them? No, I don't. Uh, I didn't speak with Agnelli at all. I met Perez at the Champions League finals and we exchanged a few words, but nothing very deep. And uh, Laporta I also met because Barcelona played the Women's Champions League finals. So I met them there, but nothing special. But they're still attacking the principle of UEFA. They're still bringing that proposal forward. They don't like what UEFA stands for. They want to change the dynamic of European football. Yeah, they, I'm not sure even what they want because they never tell what they want exactly. But uh, they are not attacking UEFA. They are attacking the football. They are attacking football system, football pyramid. They are attacking everything that is here for hundreds of years. So. It's their right to attack and it's our right to ignore them. So that relationship is broken effectively between UEFA and three of the biggest clubs at this moment in time? I would not, you know, I would not say that those three people are those clubs. I still respect the clubs. Not the presidents? I mean, when I speak, I speak about them and not about the clubs that have a respectful history and that hopefully will have a respectful future as well. What about the Super League when it first happened? <clears throat> when did you first hear about it? I was home. I, was, um, I wanted to, to drive to, to the Congress in Switzerland because I thought this was, it would be an easy Congress. We had tough negotiations with the ECA about the changing of the format. We came to this solution and, and I thought it was nothing. Then in the morning I got a phone call from the Spanish League chairman Javier Tebas who said and they will announce the Super League project today. And I, I even didn't believe it. Boban went with me because he's from Croatia. He came to my house. We drew, drove together. Then I called Daniele. He didn't answer. I called his wife. It's a long, it's, then she says that she will pass the phone. And, and I said, what's going on? Because they said Daniele is part of it. And we were... I you're, thought you were we close. Were close, yes. Uh, so he said, "No, no, that's a lie." And he already signed. That's he a lie. He it two days true. before. Of course. And I said, "Okay, <laughs> let's do a press release denying it together, saying we are united." And he says, "Great, prepare a draft." I stopped at the gas station, called my my uh, communications director. We were in touch. We created something. I call him again. He doesn't answer again. Then, again, I call his wife. His wife gets him somehow and he says, look, give me 15 minutes. I have to change a couple of things. And then he didn't call him 15, in half an hour, in one hour, in two hours. Then I tried to call him, the phone was off. Then I knew what happened. Then I came to Switzerland. I got a phone call from one of the English clubs 
which I will not tell which, and he said, we'll have to join this project. It's not, I don't, we don't like it, but if we don't do it, we are the only ones out. Actually, two clubs were hesitating in, in England very much. They said, look, we want to be, stay friends with you. We will be your friends from within. And, you know, I, I this, this was reported as City and Chelsea, is that right? Yeah, these two who were, yes, and one were, of those two called me. They were hesitant. Yeah, they were hesitant from the beginning, I have to say. And then I lost it a bit. I said, look, you go to hell. From tomorrow, you are my enemies. I don't want to speak to you anymore. So it was tough. What's that? But Aniel is incredible. Your godfather to his daughter. Mm -hmm. And he was lying to you just blatantly. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to believe. Hard to believe. And then he said to a friend of mine later that business is business and, and morality is morality. <laughs> we can laugh now, but it was quite quite shocking. But for, for me now, it's over. It's, it doesn't matter. But why, why would... Uh, you know, the strength of Abramovich's Chelsea, the ownership of Chelsea was clinical in mm -hmm. every way. You know, mm -hmm. they were... They, they were very successful. Mm. Similarly, the Abu Dhabi ownership of Manchester City, again, mm. they don't need the money. Mm. Why would they go through with it? I, it just doesn't seem right that they were sort of, if you like, I suppose forced, like almost like weak towards Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal mm. and Tottenham. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, Miguel Angel Gil, the CEO of Atletico Madrid, told me that they had some clubs, and then some were missing, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, City, and probably some others as well, I'm not sure. And then they were calling them in the last 24 hours saying, look, if you're not in now, you're out forever, and they, they, they panicked. The wrong judgment, I don't know, I don't know. But I have to say with those two clubs, uh, I got a phone call on Sunday before the Congress, because then it was, I was Gone. ballistic, you know, everyone. Uh, and they said, look, we will go out. I knew that they will go out. But don't be on a crusade anymore, please. So I changed my speech for fifth time. And where fans come in, it's, it's amazing. In 2019, there was a finals Tottenham Liverpool in Madrid. Yeah. And I got an email from a fan, Trevor, fan of Tottenham who said that he's a fan for 40 years and his father for 60, and that he cannot get tickets. Where can he buy? Oh. So I said, send him two tickets. And they sent him two tickets. At the day of the Super League, I got an email from the same Trevor saying, we'll go on the street, we'll do this, we'll do that. You see that, that, that fans, fans were the, the, the key. Were you scared at that point? Did you think this could be it, you know, the Champions League could be finished? Forget the damage that obviously could be done to <coughs> European football, but did you feel these are 12 very powerful clubs, they're not going to stop? Or did you feel this will never work straight away? How, when, when, when did you, how was your feelings on that day? I couldn't say that I was thinking about that as well, uh, at all. I, I knew that it's, it's to live or to die. I didn't think for two hours ahead. I was just thinking, in the moment. I will fight this, we will fight this all together. And I didn't care if, if I lose the position, if anything. I have to say that I was not very objective because of, of, of my 
supposed friendship with Danieli, about I was in the centre. So you were a bit emotional, were you a bit angry? Of course, of course. Because that, 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 that's conflicted with your criminal, <coughs> criminal law background, which I suspect was quite organised and structured. Yeah, but you know, it's different if you defend the others or yourself. So I was here personally involved very much. And, and, uh, but when we were driving, Boban said to me, look, let's bet for a dinner that this will never happen. I played football, fans will not allow it, this will never happen, it cannot happen. I didn't believe it. Exactly, but we decided to, to fight and it was all instinctive, you know. I didn't sleep, eat or drink for 48 hours, for sure. It was tough, but I think it's very good that it happened. Because it was always in the air and they were always pushing us, change something, or we do this, or we do that. Now, now you tried and now it's over. The instigators, obviously, Juventus, Barcelona and Real Madrid are absolutely for it. But which other ones were powerful? And particularly which English clubs do you feel were powerful in trying to organise this and back it? Because I, I was most disappointed with my club. I didn't feel it's how my club should ever act. As much as I know, unfortunately, your club was very much, the owners very much involved, and Liverpool as well. I think that those two were, were from the English side the most. The last joining were... Chelsea and, and City. I'm not sure about Tottenham mm. uh, and Arsenal. Arsenal. I, I'm not sure about them. I called it on the day the attempted murder of English football because I think it would have been you know, the end of English football as mm. we know it. But if someone attempts to murder someone and they don't get away with it, they still get punished. You still don't trust them. Mm. You still don't work with them in the future. Mm. How do you now still look at the owners of Manchester United, Liverpool, the other clubs that joined in the eye and trust mm. them? Or do you think it was a case of they overestimated their value, they made a mistake and we have to try and move on? We signed some kind of, of, of agreement where they admitted they did a mistake and I don't know if I should, I should pursue them more. But to be honest, I don't see the owners much in their eyes or... or else <laughs> or otherwise because uh, they're not much here. The Premier League and FA have introduced rules now that says that English clubs cannot go and form part of a Super League. Can the Super League project exist without English clubs? No way. No way. Without English clubs, Champions League is not the same. And no Super League would exist. Uh, and you have to know that German clubs are in exactly the same position as English clubs. Why we didn't have riots in Germany? Because no German clubs no joined. joined. If Bayern would join or Borussia Dortmund, you would see people on the street exactly the same way as you saw them in, in, uh, in England. France against. Mm. In Spain, out of 20 clubs of La Liga, 18 are against. I'm always saying when they moan that they want their Super League, play your Super League. You are three, you can play your Super League, nobody cares. Nobody wants them. Football doesn't want them. It's so clear for me that I would come and say sorry and try to, try to, to go on. Are you worried about the strength and power of the Premier League? Because it is something that I think these three clubs particularly mention and want to try and redress and make more equal. Are you worried about the power of the English Premier League? I'm not worried about that. I think that the Premier League is doing a good job. 
and the other big leagues should, should try to do a better job. What's your biggest concern around club football in general? We have to keep our football from these sharks that are swimming around. You'll probably get criticism for that, won't you? Look, whoever criticises should run. Are you concerned about the financial state of European football? It's not good, mainly because of Covid and some incompetent leaders of clubs. But I'm not concerned because I see that TV rights go up every cycle that sponsors are paying more, every cycle that we have more and more viewership all the time. Look, I, I, I will go back to, to, the, to the Super League times where English fans were the key, and you as well, but you're a fan anyway. People are in crisis, they don't have jobs, they, they have different problems. But did you see them raise like that because of other stuff? When you can take everything from us, but leave us football. So football, I think it's still stable. It's still stable, but we have to present some rules, but all together. What's your biggest concern around club football in general? Look, after three years of trouble, we had COVID, we had Super League, we had World Cup every two years. We, 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 I don't know if, if I want even to think about any more trouble. I, 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 I you, don't want have... you want peace? Yeah, yeah, I want peace and calm. They all said it's a great job, but it was difficult three years. Three years, tough, tough, tough years. And I don't want to be concerned in advance. We go from day to day and what makes me happy is that, that our competition is very interesting and that everybody loves it and that when you hear the anthem of Champions League, for example, everybody is excited. Mm. As long as this exists, I'm happy. And, and of course, uh, the Euro as well. In terms of the Champions League, <coughs> are, you, are you having demands placed upon you all the time from the bigger clubs to make your margin with UEFA less? Because obviously UEFA make don't make a profit, but you distribute quite a lot of money to the wider game. Mm -hmm. Is it that block of money that they're looking for? Like, almost like your management fee that you mm -hmm. keep for yourself. Is it that that they're targeting the, the, the clubs? I don't know about those three because we don't speak with them. The others don't. But they're happy for you to have that pot of money yeah. to be able to distribute. Yeah. Everybody thinks that the main uh, source of income from, for UEFA is club competition, but it's not. It's national team competition. We distribute out of all the revenues we have, 97%. To clubs and federations? To clubs and federations. What's that number? Can you give us the number so everyone 6. at home? 6.7 billion. A year? A year. Goes back to the clubs for champions? 6.7 is all the budget, 3% stays. Okay. So you keep, you keep back, <clears throat> how much is that, 200 million, 300? Yeah, something like that. I don't know if we can find one NGO who spends percentage-wise less for the, yeah. for the operation. We distribute 97% and, and when they say UEFA has big revenues, I always say I would love to have more. Look, football in Europe, infrastructure-wise, is developing unbelievably and that's mainly because of UEFA uh, giving money back to, to, to the federations and clubs. Can I ask you if you think, <clears throat> if it was you personally, the Champions League revenue is here, and the Europa League revenues are here. 
and that inequality exists. It's a big gap. It's like the Premier League and the Championship mm -hmm. in England. And we want to try and make sure the gap is there. There needs to be a gap. The Champions League and the Premier League should have the most revenue, no problem. But do you think the gap needs to be smaller so we <laughs> don't create that inequality? And how can you That would be that? ideal, but here the clubs would never agree. They don't vote for it? They, they would never agree because they say if we have good result, we qualify to Champions League, we have to have expensive players, let's say. Yeah. And fans, as one of the presidents told me, fans want cheap tickets and expensive players. And for you personally, you, you're going to be re-elected again. When, when is it? Is that shortly? 5th of April. The 5th of April. But you, there's no one standing against you? No. You must be really good. <laughs> <laughs> or lucky, I don't know. You'll probably get criticism for that, won't you? Because of the fact that you know, people get in positions of power, they get put back in without competition. Do you feel a little bit nervous about the fact that you haven't got anyone stood against no. you? No, no, no. Look, whoever criticises should run. And I got the support letter of 55 federations, everyone. Do you think I can force them to do that? Or I should say, no, 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 don't support me, support somebody else that a journalist wouldn't say, this is not good governance. I cannot. That's how it is. And, and I'm glad that, that federations who vote are happy with my work. And I, it, for me, it's a great, big, big responsibility for the future. What do you want to do in this next term? What, your, what is your ambition to do in this next term? There are so many ambitions that, that it's, it's hard to name all, but we have to keep our football from these sharks that are uh, swimming around and trying to, to, to ruin the pyramid. That's very important. It's important to invest into infrastructure all around Europe, it, to invest into women's football even more, and of course youth. And these are the most important things that we have to, to deal with. Or I'm sure that I will not support any more changes of competitions anymore. I think now we are here and we should play the Champions League, Europa League and Conference League like it will be in 24. I don't think we should, we should change. I even don't think it was very necessary to change it, but it will be better. Mm. So it's, it's an evolution, not revolution. How do football stay clear of these sharks because that's my biggest concern. I think that it's very important that the ones who love football uh, stick together, speak a lot. We try to, to have uh, the leaders in football everywhere, uh, people who, who love football, who knows that it's football first. Yeah. And uh, I think we are, we are good. We are good. We are, sharks are swimming around, but there are more dolphins who are <laughs> fighting them. Alexander, I honestly have really enjoyed that. Thank you so Pleasure much. Was Thank mine. you so much. Thank Pleasure you. Was mine. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.